Hello, welcome to Gritty Leaders Club. I'm Ben Wales. Ian Windle is here as well. Hi, Ian. Hi, Ben. We're here to record Hiring and Firing Part 1. Hiring. Before we get into that, Ian, one of our new fixtures here is from one of us each time, so mm-hmm. just one today. Uh, a new idea, a new idea that you've been finding useful in your work with CEOs, with teams, uh, in your coaching work, facilitation work. So what have you got for us, Ian? Well, I was uh, running a retreat, as we like to do, Ben, with a group of uh, CEOs. I love retreats. I think they're brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think they're a must. And we had the privilege of having a guy called Brian Maine, M-A-Y-N-E. Now, Brian, I've heard about a long time ago, actually, and he came to fame producing a book called Goal Mapping, which sounds really interesting. Brian's background is fascinating too. If you ever hear him speak, he started as a, in a traveling family in a circus, would you believe it? After all that, he became a, kind of an entrepreneur and he ran a, a, a big disco on the Isle of Wight back in the 80s and he had all the pop stars coming down. He made a load of money. Um, and then he ended up working for Tony Robbins, would you believe, and Stephen Covey. So this guy's been doing an awful lot of jumping around. Then he decided that Tony Robbins and Stephen Covey were great, but they were really quite expensive and they kind of went for people with money and you had to pay quite a lot of money to go for the big things. And he thought, you know what, I want to spread some of this stuff around. This guy couldn't read and write when he left school. His journey is extraordinary. Um, so, but he learned to read and write. He then started looking at neuroscience and what happens basically is if you start to think very positively, you start to take action. You know, the the serotonin kicks in, the brain cells join up, the dendrites connect, the synaptic gap is closed and a pathway happens and action comes out of it. So he started looking at the neuroscience and started looking at goals and achieving goals and achieving actions. And he started writing this book and he produced this book called Goal Mapping. And goal mapping is not only just about Uh, a lovely framework it starts working up both sides of the brain so what he gets you to do is he gets you to envision a future and you do that not only by writing it down but by drawing a picture so he wants you to get an image on the page which is really powerful and you start remembering that image so you get a big page with an image over here which says what's your future going to be then some goals over here And then he starts saying, what are the things you're going to do to achieve those goals? And what's the date on there? And what the resources you need? A fascinating little way of getting CEOs really thinking in a different way about about their goals, what they can achieve in the future. He did a great job. Brian Main, goal mapping. He's got a great workbook out, very practical. And uh, yeah, really nice guy. Say a little bit more for our listeners, Ian. If we want to take this idea of introducing a visual element into our strategic thinking, into our long-term envisioning, as you said, mm-hmm. uh, of, of where we're taking our teams, where we're taking our companies. Um, how might we start to do that? Well, I mean, I, I, it's not a technique I I personally use a lot until I, I'd seen Brian Main and what he's doing. It's a very simple technique, which basically divides the page in two and says, look, you need to think about a future-based vision. In fact, if I look at another person I've spoken about before, I think, which is Cameron Herald, he talks about a vivid vision. 
mm-hmm. um, which again is in is saying in three years time where will we be as a business not saying where do we get from here to there not creating a vision statement which is kind of a series of words which is for a lot of companies a bit meaningless but saying if we wake up in three years time what's it going to look like what's it going to feel like what's the culture going to be like what are we going to be turning over? Uh, who, what products and services are we going to be selling? So you begin to build a very vivid picture of what it's going to look like. So starting to unlock that right-hand side of the brain, which is what you start to remember. And then you start writing down left-hand side of the brain. What does that look like? And so I think, actually, this is a really cool and really useful way of thinking about the future and about dreams and envisaging the future. And so this really started to, to help a lot of the CEOs I'm working with. Sounds like it it knocks us beyond the you know the financial metrics and if that's all we've got we know it can become distorted and limiting quite quickly so it sounds like a nice way of of opening that up. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, Ian, on to topic hiring and firing part one. Mm. Lo and behold, mm. hiring. Mm. Let me start our timer. This is a new thing for us. We'll spend a half hour. And then we've got, what is the sound here? Old car horn. Thank you, Apple. Old (laughs) car horn will tell us when our time is up. So the clock is ticking. Hiring, Ian. Yeah. Get us into this topic. Well, it's so important, isn't it? The first thing I thought about hiring was you have got to have the right people in your business. We both talk a lot about teams. We both talk a lot about who's in that team. We both talk about the strengths of that team. We can't grow a business without great people, uh, the right people, actually. Some mm. people can be too qualified. They can be overqualified. We know it's about attitude. We know it's about behaviors, not necessarily about skills. And it took me back to the Jim Collins quote, which I think of a lot. And that is, when you look around your team, you should be confident that 90% of them are the right people in the right seats. And further to that, you should be more confident in them this year than you were last year. In other words, they're growing. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you look at that, it makes you realize, A, you've got to recruit well, you've got to promote well, but you've got to have people with a growth mindset. Because if Mm -hmm. you're going to have people coming in who are right for you, They've got to be growing. And I always say you can't grow a business without growing people. And therefore, that actually says you've got to have the right people who want to grow. Mm -hmm. They say, don't they, hire slowly, fire quickly. They do. (laughs) And I guess this this is why, you know, and that can frame both this episode, this pod about hiring and next one about firing as well, can't it? Yeah, I totally agree. It's one of the most important things that we do as as leaders, whether whether that's leader of an entire business or leader of a team, get the right people in, keep the wrong people out. Mm, mm, mm. So I, I, there's so much we can say on this. We've only got half an hour. I guess I've got three big ideas. Mm. And so let, let's start with one of those. And this maybe comes from the, the mistake that... Uh, perhaps I began making until I realized just how painful it was and maybe a mistake that I see quite often particularly amongst startup companies or startup companies that have moved into their scale up Mm. but perhaps haven't rethought some of the ways they're doing things now that they're a bit more established they've got more pace uh, and they've got more 
more to them. And that is the the mistake, the pitfall of hiring from a selection of one candidate. Mm, mm. Don't do it. Make sure you're always choosing between at least two candidates who you'd love to have in the role. Well, that's a great point, isn't it? We know all that too, that comes from, oh, I've been referred this candidate. He's landed in my lap. We're not looking for them, but he looks really good or she looks really good. And, mm-hmm. and, and, we bec- and we can become reactive to recruitment. And how many times I thought, well, actually, step back from that. What are you looking for? Let's be proactive about this. Let's be strategic about this. If you were looking for somebody to fit this role, this person might be right. But let's line up a two or three to compare them with if we really want to fill this role and it's important. So yeah. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got to be going back to... Uh, our recruiters, whether those are internal and external. And if they're giving us, you know, if our shortlist whittles down to one, and so we've got no choice, we've got to, got to be, maybe we've got to hire that person. Maybe, you know, there's a, uh, a priority in the business. We've just got to get somebody in. So maybe we do. But we've got to be going back to our recruiters and saying, next time, every time, you must give me two credible candidates either of which could do the role. Oh, I completely and... agree. And so so how do you take or how do you minimise the risk, Ben, in your experience? How do we minimise the risk in bringing in the wrong person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which kind of gets me on to my next point. But before we go there, mm. again, that there's, there's something else about our, our shortlisting. So mm-hmm. point number one. We've got to have a big enough shortlist that we get to two credible candidates that can Mm -hmm. do the job that we'd love to have in the organization. In fact, if we're hiring both of them because they're both that good and we're a growing organization, then this really becomes an accelerator for us. So there's multiple reasons to do that. The second is uh, we need to be rejecting those shortlists if they're not diverse. Yeah, completely. Just send it back. Yeah, just send it back. Sorry, guys. Give me another short list that's properly diverse. Uh, exactly. It's la- it's 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 lazy recruitment and it's lazy thinking. And uh, there's so much to be said on that on that topic. Probably run a whole podcast on what we put on our website, the questions we're asking, the people we're looking for. We can be blind to some of this. And and the other thing to say about lining candidates up is we don't need to accept any of them. Yeah, you know, the danger is we start a recruitment process and we've got something to fill and we find three. We say, we've got to take one of them then to fill that thing. No, we haven't. It's far well, harder. Well, that's, that's a problem in the business, isn't it? If yeah. you feel that, that dependency, that lack of the option to not hire this person, well, we've got problems elsewhere. Exactly. Absolutely, yeah. Now, I, I worked with a company um, a couple of years ago um, and... Uh, they were recruiting for a COO, so quite a senior position. And um, there's a lot of things they did really well. In fact, they did most things really well, I think. They started off looking at a huge number of candidates and they whittled it down to three, through psychometric testing, through looking at diversity, through looking at their background, track record, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then the CEO rang each of them up and spent two hours on the phone mm-hmm. asking them and learning about who they were as a person. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to know anything about their business. Just want to know what they did the weekend, what the family was like, where they went on holiday. 
and learning about them as a person. And he came off that call and said, you know, I really understand who we've got here now. Now we're going to invite all three of them to a panel interview. And what he did, which I thought was great, I know him well, he said, would you join me as an external perspective in mm -hmm. looking at these people? Because, you know, I don't know their business inside out. I know it pretty well, but so I get all the background papers on all of them. I work out some words. There's three of us. There's the CEO, there's the HR lady and myself, the recruitment HR lady and myself. And we ran a panel interview for them. And interestingly, what we did is they came for the panel interview. We all had different questions that lasted an hour. And then we said, go away and have a break and come back and present to the whole leadership team in any which way you like on what you'll do over the next year if you should join us in your role. Mm -hmm. And they knew they were going to have to do that. And they had had two weeks to do whatever they liked with the business. They were offered the chance to come in, to meet people, to phone people, to research the business. And then they presented in either an engaged way or PowerPoint slides. And then they were invited for lunch with everyone mm -hmm. where wine and beer was offered and drinks and they could relax. And then after we'd interviewed all three in exactly the same fashion, we sat there as a group in the evening and went, right, what do we see? Let's look at some criteria. Let's try and evaluate. Do we take any of them or none of them? And do you know what happened? This is really interesting. We had a set of criteria and we went through the criteria and we got to the end and the criteria showed that one of them should get the job. And I said to everyone, so are we going to go with this person? And they went, mm, I don't know. And I thought that was it. So even the criteria didn't show it up. And do you know, the CEO said, right, okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. It's getting late by now. We're all really tired. He said, I want you all to write me a letter tonight and tell me who you think should get the job and why out of the three we've seen today. And so all of us, including me, all seven of us wrote the CEO a letter. He said, I'll make the decision on one or none. And they did. And the guys, the, the person they chose and has been with them now for two years and very successful. Yeah, in interesting. And there's a mixture there of, of good process, but the process wasn't, you know, the process wasn't the answer. Was yeah, it? No. So it's an art as well as a science, I, I, I'd say. You asked me, how do we avoid the wrong people, get the right people? Mm. There's a nice piece there about some of the things we can do in a, in a recruitment process, including having outsiders in that process so that we get a real range of perspectives as we, as we hire. Uh, a question I quite, I like to ask people I'm working with when they're approaching a, a, a key key recruitment because of you know often this is one of the things that's on somebody's mind we sit down with the leader and we ask hey what's coming up well you know I've got a key hire coming up I'm adding somebody in it's really important this can be massive if they're right it can be massive if they're wrong mm. uh, as well got, got to get this one right and uh, there's a question that uh, I, I go to and and this is from Ben Horowitz, who we've spoken about before because we did a whole episode around uh, wartime CEO, peacetime CEO, which is mm. one of his provocations. And he's mm. got a great book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. He talks in there about hiring. Mm. And he's, he's got a great idea. And the question is, do you hire for strengths or do you hire for the absence of weaknesses? Mm. 
And you know what, Ian? That's the reaction I always get when I ask that question. I get a, hmm. And, yeah, and people haven't thought about it before, and they tend to have you know, uh, uh, a bit of a bias towards one or the other. Do you hire for strength or absence of weakness? So unpack that a little bit, because probably I'm no different than many of the people listening to this to say, I like this idea, Ben. Um, unpack it a bit more. What, what's Ben Horowitz talking about underneath this? Well, if we hire just for the absence of weakness, we may find we've got somebody who doesn't have what it takes mm. to do the role. Mm. If we flip that on its head and we're hiring for strengths, well, it forces us to get really clear about why are we creating this role in the organization? Mm. What's it going to take for this to be really powerful? And and that, of course, is our, our real rationale uh, for this hiring in the first place. I think it operates a bit differently depending on whether we're a startup uh, or a scale-up uh, or, or bigger mm. uh, organization than, than that. Because when we're a startup, I think this is pretty pretty straightforward can't afford many people Mm. the pressure's on the ambition is high we naturally hire for strengths Mm -hmm. plus it's a tiny team Mm. and we're close and we've got that bonhomie of starting a business Mm. together so i think we naturally uh compensate for the for the weaknesses Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah, in fact, you hear people say it, don't don't you? Um, you know, we we complement each other mm. so well amongst the founders mm. here. So I think when we're when we're a startup, this is kind of a natural thing to do. But when we get a bit bigger, we can fall into this trap of not thinking deeply enough about the hiring we're doing. And then as we go through the hiring process, because we're not clear on the strengths, it's much easier. Uh, to actually to spot the weaknesses, yeah, and then the hiring becomes about weeding those out and you know and and discarding candidates because they haven't got weaknesses without a thought to whether actually they might have had the essential strength uh, mm. to to make it work. And the other difference I think is once we get to scale up and you know we've got teams in the organisation. Well, guess what? Teams have got a bunch of people in them. Mm. And if we've got a bunch of people working together Mm. um, behind a common goal, guess what? We can compensate for each other's weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where I ended up with this. Mm. Hire for strengths Mm. and be mindful about the ability of the team to compensate for the weaknesses that may that we we may there. So we make a conscious decision about those weaknesses, mm. but maybe the team can compensate for that. Mm. I like that because what you're what you're seeing when people come along for any job is you're seeing somebody trying to market themselves. Mm-hmm. And you're also looking for honesty and vulnerability. And you know, the great questions around that of getting people to say, well, do you know, I'm not very good at this. Um, but in an interview, that's quite hard for a lot of people to put out there and say, well, this is what I'm good at. I'm no good over here. And I know you want that, but actually I'm much better at this. And really, if you want somebody who's really good at that, I'm good at that. But don't ask me to do this. Because most most people are going out there and looking for a whole bunch of things they want people to do. Um, but how how much better is it to look at 
these are the one, two, three things we've really got to have in abundance with this person coming into the role. Mm. Um, because it, without those, they can't really add a lot of success to the business. And if we get those, then we're, you know, we're in a good place. And I think there is a danger to look for trying to get too much. And people are trying to tell you an interview, yeah, well, I can do that, but they're not going to be very good at it. So I think yeah. the skills thing and the compensation, which is what we see in a team all the time, isn't it? We've got, it's like creating a puzzle that, that fits together well. Uh, and the same goes for the psychometrics. I mean, I use Belbin a lot, which is a team profiling tool. And therefore it shows you that, do you know what we're lacking in creativity? Or we're lacking in a comp complete finisher? Mm -hmm. Or we're lacking in a resource investigator, which is somebody who's got that sort of extrovert tendencies to go out and find new things and new ideas and bring them back to the team. And when yep. you do that kind of thing, you realize that, okay, we might have a skills gap, which is really important. And we want to fill that. And these are the three biggest strengths we want from the new marketing person. But we might also have more of a personality gap, a behavioral gap that actually would really help the team work optimally. Yeah. And of course, every psychometric provider out there tells you psychometrics are not a hiring tool. And, and they're absolutely oh, no. right. The right way to use it is what you've just described is, is that we're using the psychometric within the team mm. for that team to understand its right way of working. Mm its way of generating the cohesiveness that contributes to to high performance. Mm. So that psychometric is a language of the team. Mm -hmm. And then we can use it in the recruitment to understand that dimension of, of the person we're, we're considering. And then it works, whether it's Belbin, whether mm. it's DISC, whether it's Myers-Briggs, FIRO-B, all of those that we, we use. That's the real question. Are we using that? inside the team inside the inside yeah. the company yeah do you know what you've got me thinking about uh, another aspect there so we hire for strengths mm. rather than avoidance of of weaknesses mm -hmm. and th there is another nice recipe that we can turn to here our favorite patrick lencioni his ideal team player what patrick says is every person we hire should have three things. They should be humble, they should be hungry, and they should be smart. And when we say smart, we mean people smart, good with people. Mm. And I think that's nice. If we hire for strengths, the strengths that are going to make this role really powerful for the team, for the business, and we're also thinking of an ideal team player, are they humble? Are they hungry? Do they have people smart? So they're going to be good with people. Then I think we've got a pretty good sort of skeleton for any recruitment. I was questioned on this yesterday when I was speaking about leadership and people were asking about recruitment, who we should be looking at. And Jim Collins talks about level five leadership, of course. Yeah. And yeah, in good to great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this combination that you want of having you're fearless, you're completely willful, you're on purpose, but you're also humble and you're honest and you're willing to make mistakes and you can be vulnerable. And, and, and it's this combination that you want in people to join your businesses. And I think 
more than ever now when people are looking at a business to join and this is absolutely right right in center of our businesses is how are we putting our business out there because especially millennials and zillennials they're coming and looking at our business and saying what's the purpose of this business have they got a centered purpose or are they just making money mm-hmm. what's the vision for the business do i understand where they want to take this business what are the values and behaviors they're putting on their website what's a sustainability policy what about diversity in this business and all these things now that matter so much more than they did or than, than they occurred to when i was looking for a job you know back in the dark ages um i just wanted a job now people are well they should be and that's another way of looking at them they should be looking for these things when they're applying to join our organizations but how much are we set up to put those things out there in a way that will attract the people we really want yeah great great points employer brand has it's just a different concept today than it was i mean i don't like the term really it sounds sounds a bit corporate doesn't it but when we look at gen z Mm. and the the new generations that are coming into our our workplaces they look deep they look under the cover Mm. they're cynical Mm. we can't greenwash (laughs) or use any other sort of wash in our organizations because yeah they're good researchers they'll quickly uncover uh the truth so yeah absolutely that that's important my third key idea about hiring and you you got me thinking about this uh, a few minutes ago, Ian, when you mm. talked about the sort of the pitfall in the recruitment process of you know, everyone's doing their best sales pitch, mm-hmm. showing themselves in the in the best light, wants to talk to the strengths, the intention that they infer from the questions we're we're asking them. So, so how do we how do we get beyond that? And my way of doing that is to be asking a lot of what if mm-hmm. questions. Yeah, mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than always asking, tell me about a time when. Mm-hmm. Let's instead ask what if questions. You know, what if we have a supply chain problem and it means that a customer's order is going to be delayed for six weeks mm. and we know it's an important order mm. for them. Mm. What if that happens? Mm. How, how will you approach that situation? Mm. Um, what if your number one customer initiates a, a supplier rationalization and they tell us that um, we're unlikely to, to keep the account and it's a major account for us? What if? What do we do in that? In that situation, um, hey, what if you get appendicitis? Yeah. Yeah, lots of what-if questions. There's a great TED Talk about this. It's Natalie Fratto. I think the TED Talk is called Three Ways to Measure Your Adaptability. It's just a five-minute TED Talk, mm. really quick one, but it's, mm. a, it's a good one. But, yeah, what-if questions to really mm. discover mm. how this person thinks mm. uh, in, you know, once that how this person thinks, how they're, how they're going to approach the unexpected mm. uh, in, in role. And by the way, we should be asking these questions in our teams as well. 
Yeah, completely. And it's the paranoia, isn't it, about the future that Jim Collins talks about, um, about, you know, are we prepared to face the things that are going to come down the track, like the the pandemic? And and what if something else happens? How are we going to deal with that? And I think it's having that mindset. Have you got people you're going to recruit with this kind of mindset to think forward and to think before it happens, the anticipation of the things that might happen to our business? But you got me thinking about other questions, which I think are really important. And because you mentioned um, Patrick Lencioni, of course, if we're trying to build high-performing teams, we want to create teams that are the centre of them. They've got great ter- great trust, great psychological safety, and w- are willing to be vulnerable, and, and therefore discuss the real issues on the table. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's the teams we want to create, now we can move people into that space through a lot of training and coaching and help to move them into this vulnerability space. We know that from the work we've done. Uh But if you find somebody who is naturally quite a vulnerable, humble, open person with with an incredible will to get there and go there and and be something great, then that that means they're gonna fit into the team much better to start with. You know, if if we can recruit on that as well. So I think yeah. one of the things we can start to unpack in the recruitment process is where have they had hard times and how have they dealt with them? What challenges have they had in their in their lives that they've had to deal with? Where mm-hmm. have they shown vulnerability and had you know real challenges where they've had to open up and show that they haven't done things well? And I think trying to explore that where you get the heart of authenticity and honesty and openness and transparency and all the things we're looking for in people as well is a very interesting way to, to go down and, and really see what's behind the mask that people often will put on in, in a recruitment interview. Yeah, tell me about a time when you've really needed to dig deep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice question. And the other the other way around uh, as well, let's find out what ambition, what vision this person has for the role. So, hey, tell me in a year's time, let's say we hire you today. Mm. And in a year's time, we we sit down, and you say to me, "Hey Ben, it's been a good, it's not been a good year. It's been an amazing year, and this mm. is why it's been an amazing year." Mm. Um, yeah. And then what do you say? So what's the content of that? And then, you know, we get a feel for how they're thinking uh, about the role, the future, what's mm. possible, mm. whether or not they're going to bring themselves. Mm. to the role Mm. um Mm. how they might shape that are they going to Mm. you know shape that without input from senior authorities in the business or are they going to be quite inclusive and sort of socialize that vision as they go and of course you need a fairly rich recruitment process for somebody to have gathered enough context about the organization and met uh at least a couple of the key people so that you know, where they can have a reasonable stab at that question. And we've got to remember that um, they're not yet in a position of of having a, a proper amount of, of context mm. about the, the organisation. So we might get an answer that uh, actually wouldn't play well, mm. uh, but we do learn what's their thought process, what is their ambition. Completely. What's your view, Ben, on something we haven't discussed? Uh, uh, some people would say it's not a big thing and some others would say it's a really big thing, which is getting references. 
how do we do that in a great way that that helps us <laughs> yeah I, I go each way on references mm. but i tell you i'll tell you ian what i did mm. i didn't bother with asking for for written references i i know that my hr people did mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah and mm-hmm. we've got to dot that i cross that t so we'll you know we will gather the the written references i would phone up each referee yeah absolutely and and you learn so much from that conversation yeah yeah because sometimes people want to do an off the record chat don't they? <laughs> what's he really like what's she really like tell me about them Sometimes you you get that. Sometimes they won't take the call. Sometimes none of the none of the referees will take a phone call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you've really got to consider: Do we know enough about this person on the merits mm. of the process and the written reference? Mm-hmm. The good ones, mm. in my experience, the good ones, all of their referees will take a phone call. Yeah, that's interesting. And yeah. they've yeah. got plenty to say. And yeah. they'll give you a half hour of their time. Yeah. And another so, question for you, hmm. and you might throw it back at me or just take it on, which is how much notice do we take of their social presence, their social media presence, their LinkedIn profile, their Twitter feeds, their Facebook, their Snapchat, all the stuff that some people put out there. And some people don't put much out there, but more and more people do put stuff out there. What do we do with all that stuff? Yeah, check it out. We can yeah. learn from a person that way yeah absolutely how are they how do they present themselves what's important uh how much are they using their their influence and in in what ways and of course it depends on the role whether that's important to us or not but Mm. check it out it's another Mm. information point Mm. yeah absolutely i've heard terrible stories about people not being taken seriously because of something they put on facebook or something they put on some other social platform that just shows them in a poor light. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, be careful out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and eyes eyes wide open. You know, let let's let's be real about it as we do yeah, look at somebody's exactly. social presence. Exactly. Why wouldn't they have a party occasionally and let their hair down? Well, may, maybe we shouldn't be hiring people that seem never to <laughs> let their their hair down and have a completely varnished life. Exactly. Um, so are we getting towards the buzzer? Is it coming along soon? I'm getting the feeling that the buzzer is just about to buzz us, Ben. Do you know what? The counter got to zero, but it didn't <laughs> It didn't buzz. Oh, there you are. I had to do that manually. Excellent. I'm glad we got there in the end. Yes, there's the buzzer. So um, I'm going to keep it going now since since, <laughs> since it was um, not behaving. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, so, I can't stop it. There we are. Well done. I think. <laughs> Good job. So how would you sum up this this hiring piece then? I mean, I've got a few sort of big takeaways for me, but what, what, what would you, what were some big things for you out of this? Well, my three things are I choose between good candidates, never be hiring from a choice of of one. This idea of hiring for strengths rather than to avoid weaknesses. Mm. And at the same time, think about Lencioni's ideal team player. Are they humble, hungry and smart? Mm. Ask what if questions. This was my framework for Mm. for Mm. hiring. Mm. 
I guess there's one thing that I've not mentioned, and this is something that I always did when I was seeking to be hired myself. Mm. And, and I always hope that a candidate is going to do this for me, which is, if I wanted the job, I'd say so. I'd say, hey, do you know what? I've really enjoyed meeting you. I've really enjoyed the process. Uh, I've enjoyed finding out about the company. I'm really interested in the job. I'm going to do a great job with the job. Mm. If you give me the job, I'd like the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, show some passion. Show some passion. Say, I want the job and I'm going to do a good job for you. Make that connection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people can be too formulaic Mm. on on both sides. I mean, I suppose what I'm taking about, I love the hiring for strengths, not weaknesses. I think that's, that's brilliant. I would say growth mindset. I think we've got to, we've got to, for the vast majority of yep. our people, we've got to have a growth mindset. And I think the other thing I'd really say, I'm trying to unpack, is how open and vulnerable and honest uh, will they show up in an interview process? Because that's a really good statement of how they're going to start being in teams and in our businesses. How authentic are they going to be? Lovely. Great. Well, let's get out there and do some some good hiring. Good job this morning, Ian. Mm. So we'll be back in three weeks' time. It might be part two of this. Firing, another important task. Mm. Part of the, the CEO role or any leadership role. Do a good job of firing. We're both lining up some interviews, so one of those might slot in beforehand. Either way, we'll be back here in in three weeks time so folks thank you for listening if you've not done already and you're still listening 30 or so episodes in give us a five star review and give us some ideas as well we we love to hear from you ben at benwales.com ian at ianwindle.com thank you for listening see you soon guys bye